Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. New to Podcast One Sportsnet, Baseball and Chill, and the Big 12 Podcast. Listen each week to Kelly Nash and Scott Brom from the MLB Network as they cover all the big storylines and trending topics on and off the diamond on Baseball and Chill. Jen to jump over to the Big 12 podcast and listen to Chuck Cooperstein each week as he checks in with Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby and other guests to go over the big highlights and look ahead to the biggest events in the conference. Listen free to both of these shows exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOneSports.com, and the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend and leave a rating and review. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I'm really happy to have on Ben Golliver of Sports Illustrated, a longtime friend of the show. And we go kind of big picture for a lot of this podcast on what's been going on in the NBA for the first two weeks of free agency, kind of the, the shape of the league right now, talk about the logic of Kawhi Leonard negotiations and trades. And then we also have something that's unusual for Real Jam Radio, the live reaction piece. That's something that happens more on Dunked On, but Jabari Parker signing with the Bulls happened during our recording, so we talked about it off the cuff for a couple minutes. Really enjoyed that. This episode is brought to you by MeUndies. You can go to MeUndies.com slash RealGM, and you can get 15% off a risk-free trial, and there's also another offer, which you can hear about in the middle of the show. Also, Quip, getquip.com slash real gm and you get a free refill pack your first refill pack for free on a great toothbrush and then our friends at true car it's a great place to get a new and used car this episode runs a little bit under an hour i think you'll really enjoy it thank you so much for coming on oh my pleasure danny it's been a wild i don't know a couple months here through the playoffs and finals and you know draft and free agency but does it start to feel like we're maybe slowing down a little bit here the last couple of days? The news is, is kind of grinding down to a trickle. Yeah, I mean, we're recording this on Saturday morning, and it seems like the biggest thing that's upcoming is the whole Jabari Parker thing, which is which is coming up soon. And so that's, that's a pretty good sign that we're slowing down. I'm sure Marcus Smart and a few of the other restricted free agents like Clint Capella aren't happy that we're taking that tone, but that's just the way these things go. And what I think is the, the biggest takeaway so far from this offseason, and I'm sure some people will take this as a bigger negative than I intend it to be, is that it feels like the way that a lot of the major players have taken this summer is really to treat the 2018-19 season as kind of a holding pattern where the big fireworks will come off in 2019 when all these other guys are going to be free agents. Yeah, well, I imagine you're you're starting your conversation there with the Lakers where they get LeBron and we all are sitting around thinking, okay, like, how, where's the rest of the super team coming from? Who's it going to be? And obviously we knew when he signed that it wasn't going to be Paul George and we're still sitting around waiting to see how the Kawhi Leonard uh, situation shakes out. And then the moves they wind up making are all essentially holding pattern moves, right? It's like, let's try to get whatever talent we can around LeBron, but let's not commit to anybody past next year. And if that means parting with a guy like Julius Randle, who, you know, had been viewed maybe by some people as part of like the Lakers young core, if he has to go, so be it, you know, the preference is, you know, flexibility next summer rather than, you know, retaining, you know, talent right now. And, you, know, you can go through some other teams. I think there's different reasons teams got to that decision, right? Like I think for Houston, it just got too expensive, you know, too rich for their blood. And, and people came kind of headhunting for some of their talent, like a guy like Trevor Ariza, 
you know, going to Q, uh, to going to Phoenix, big contract. I mean, that tends to happen to teams that are in that situation. Uh, so you've got some of these kind of contenders who are, you know, trying to maybe work themselves towards a position of greater flexibility or at least less total cost. You've got some other teams sort of slowly starting to build up and, and realizing that there actually wasn't that many high-level players on this summer's market. I mean, that was kind of the, the big takeaway for me, too, is, boy, it felt like the A-list guys were off the market by, like, July 3rd, and the fireworks were done before even the, in the 4th of July this year, and that's not usually how it goes. So, and I think you've also got some teams in the Eastern Conference where you're kind of doing that, that slow marinade, right? Like, both Philly and Boston, you can understand why there weren't, you know, major moves now, and, and whether that's holding for next summer or just sort of more of an organic building process with some young cores who are really starting to come into their own, you can kind of understand their thought process too. But I think the big takeaway from all of it is that Gold State got richer. I mean, they were already filthy rich. They got richer. And if you want to say, you know, if you want to look at it in like the coldest terms, have they like even solidified to a greater degree their hold on the championship race compared to last season? I think they have. Yeah, I talked about that a little bit with Nate at the end of the last dunk time. To me, the like if you want to call it the biggest winner in terms of the immediate for this free agency so far is the Warriors' gold. Uh, their 2019 title odds. I, th- I think because Houston got worse, possibly you know not not massively worse, but I think I think they're worse. And Houston, other than Chris Paul, was relatively healthy for a lot of last year. I mean, they they added the Harden injury and other stuff, but they they never got derailed until Game Six of the Conference Finals and. Now they're going to need everybody to be healthy again, and they're going to need to play at their best to even have a shot at it. And because while the East, you know, they'll have some capable teams, it's going to take a lot again for for a team out there. Boston, Boston has a lot of talent. They're going to have to put it together. Philly, you know, they didn't get that star on the other side. So the Warriors title odds for 2019. Now you can make an argument that their 2020 title odds are a little bit more questionable for a couple reasons. One being Kevin Durant taking that one plus one, meaning that he could theoretically leap next summer. I think that is a very real possibility. I don't have any inside information, but that's a possibility. And also just because now the uncertainty that made a lot of us so interested in the 2018 summer where, oh, you know, like the Lakers could clear two max spots and, and all these other things, a lot of that kind of rolled over. And so you not only had the Lakers doing that, but Philadelphia 76ers now have a max slot next summer. We don't know what the heck's going to happen there. But the other part that's different about next summer is that I think we have a lot of players sort of paralleling 2016. We're going to have a lot of players that are really open to soliciting other offers. Like I think LeBron had a pretty good idea of what was coming, especially when you look at the team they built around him. Like this was not a circumstance where he needed other commitments because he didn't get them. And so Kyrie, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi, if he makes it all the way there, like a lot of these guys are going, well, even Kawhi, I mean, he'll hit free agency. We know that at this point, unless something really big changes, we don't know it, but it's probably likely. And so that's exciting because these are, and also a lot of these are guys that have never really hit free agency before, like Jimmy Butler, like we don't know what he wants. And he's a really good player. He's not at the level of LeBron, but he can still affect the team in a big way. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at this summer specifically, the ga- the way the musical chairs game played out, where Paul George, Paul George didn't move, 
Uh, LeBron does move, but without major talent. Kawhi Leonard hasn't moved. And then DeMarcus Cousins comes to Golden State. Like, if you could go rerun that simulation if you're the Warriors, you basically do that every single time. Because I guess there was a little window there where, like, if Cousins is willing to take the, the level of contract that he took, theoretically all those teams could have teamed up, or all those guys could have teamed up this summer uh, in L.A. and formed a team that would really give Golden State something to think about, right? And I think when you're looking at this sort of holdover concept that you're, that you're putting forward, I think one key variable there is that Paul George is not being held over, right? We pretty much know where he's going to be next summer. And I think when you're trying to put together a team that's really capable of taking down the Warriors, he was a huge X factor because you've got to have somebody to guard Durant, right? So I think we have kind of shifted into this mood where instead of trying to picture the super team that's going to be able to keep up in the arms race with Golden State, the conversation is almost shifting now to is Golden State basically going to blow themselves up? Will Kevin Durant decide to go? I mean, that may be a more likely way for this run to end than somebody else kind of piecing these uh, guys together and doing it because there's only so many guys in the league who can really, you know, match up with Durant. If it's not Paul George, it's got to be Kawhi, and we all have no idea what's going on with Kawhi right now. And I think preferably the concept of having both those guys on the same team in L.A., was really the biggest scare short-term to Golden State that we could have concocted. And it basically went poof, you know, within a couple of days of free agency opening. So, uh, like, if I'm trying to imagine the nightmare scenario, like if I'm Bob Myers, like, what's the worst thing that could have happened? Uh, that L.A. scenario was it. And now it seems like it's gone. But it's not just gone now. I think it's gone next year, too, because of the way, you know, Paul George committed to Oklahoma City, which, of course, that's a huge coup for Sam Presti. But it's also the kind of thing where it directly impacts the title race here, you know, going forward every season. Because I just don't think the Thunder are going to be able to build up to that level and really challenge Golden State. Yeah, I agree with that. And Oklahoma City can certainly, they can put together some really high ceiling games. Incidentally, two of the best performances Oklahoma City did all of last year were against the Warriors. But expecting that four times out of seven is a lot to ask, especially when you consider that they were beating the regular season Warriors, who from what we could all tell were not playing at maximum intensity, especially on the defensive end. And so you have to expect something different. And OKC can certainly play better than they did in that first round loss to the Utah Jazz, a team that was an awful, awful matchup for them. But if we're talking about a championship contender, I think you need to have a clear path there. They could still be a very good team. I, I think OKC will be, but they're not really in that same tier. Yeah, and I think they're also going to have trouble getting those that next big uh you know the big piece right like how do they really make that happen i feel like their team and their roster is pretty much set and their just ability to compete in these re- these recruiting wars which uh, are going to require guys you know kind of sacrificing and uh you know you know doing more for the for the good of the team or you know taking a back seat or whatever it's going to be very difficult i mean you've just kind of got like the alpha dog lined up the beta dog lined up now with Paul George. You've got Steven Adams on there on a big contract. He's not going to be going anywhere. So, you know, we saw like what the mellow experiment looked like in Oklahoma City. I think if you're trying to convince another star in that similar situation, like, hey, like come and take a steep discount to play for us. We're going to try to take down Golden State. That's a pretty tough sell. And that's to say nothing of their gigantic salary cap luxury tax uh, bill right now, which which makes it difficult for ownership to swallow any other new additions too, right? So, I kind of feel like they're at or near their ceiling as a contender. And I think the gap is still wide enough with Golden State where, you know, we don't have to, you know, worry too much about them. And then looking forward, I think 
the one team that's kind of in the position where they've got enough talent currently, but also could still add more if the timing gets right next summer to me is Boston. I think that they've really emerged here. And, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I think they've emerged as Golden State's biggest long-term threat. It's you know pretty insane to think about. They're going to be asking questions like, is there enough room for Jason Tatum uh, and Gordon Hayward to both thrive next year? Or like, are there enough touches to go around between, you know, four potential all-stars? I mean, they may have four or five all-stars on next year's team if the NBA keeps the, uh, you know, the, the current rules by picking 12 guys from the East and 12 guys from the West. So to me, they are the team that's not only built, I think, for the short, short term, like I see them making next year's finals, but I also think your idea about this holdover process where the assets they've accumulated with young players, potential trade pieces, but then also the star guys on the big contracts who could be thrown in if, if you're really hunting for like a really big name guy and you want to kind of just do a superstar flop. In both cases, I think Boston is just primed for a big summer 2019. Yeah, and it, it was funny for the sports business classroom. I was a part of their kind of they do a thing where students represent teams, and I ended up being kind of the mentor for the Celtics. And it was a a good clarifying process for me because one of the things I tried to impart they can make their own decisions, and they did in many places was this idea that Boston doesn't need to do anything. Like they, you know, certainly they could be they could give up some assets to make themselves better for the 1920 season or for the 1819 season either way but they can also just kind of let this play out a little bit and they have all these other assets like the king's pick which you know will almost definitely yeah they'll almost definitely get it the only way they don't is if it ends up number one overall then philly gets it which is this amazing hypothetical which might end up being relevant we just don't know and then the memphis pick and the Clippers pick, depending on how all that turns out, and all these young guys. So I, I actually think, I've said this before, that I think the Celtics are too good to make a Kawhi trade because they just don't really have the pieces. And like you're not going to throw, unless you get something really concrete from Kawhi, you're not going to throw in Jalen Brown, especially with all the other salary filler you need to make a deal happen. But they don't necessarily need that. Like they they have the the bones of a really really good team without that. Even though I think they need a superstar to kind of get to the next level. And I want to talk about Kawhi because there is certainly a possibility. I would say there's a, a very good possibility that this ends up kind of following the Kyrie timeline, where it just takes a little longer. The sides have to feel each other out. The one side feels more optimism that they can. You know, the whole the team that has him and has had him his entire career thinks they can bring him back. Other teams are kind of figuring out what to do with it. But what I think makes this situation fundamentally different, while Kyrie had an injury thing that we found out about a little bit after the fact, with Kawhi, we all know this issue. It's a lot harder to explain. And I think there's going to be some serious risk aversion because the teams that are interested in Kawhi have these high expectations. I think they're going to want like a bigger kind of proof of life or show of competence and all this kind of stuff. Because if you're going to give up what San Antonio is going to take, and San Antonio is not going to take an offer that is unacceptable to them, at least not right now, I think Kawhi is going to need to show more than might be realistically possible at this point. Yeah, I was actually surprised by how much concern there was over Kawhi in Las Vegas, just talking to people, you know, doing the kind of schmooze thing. I mean, it's not just his injury concerns that people are harboring right now. It's not just the concerns about, you know, the infamous Uncle Dennis, who's sort of become cast in this like almost villainous role where he's, uh, you know, steering Kawhi lettered wrong throughout like, you know, the middle of his prime. But the real concern that I kept hearing over and over was, 
is he right uh, kind of between the ears? You know, not necessarily like, you know, you know some Markel Fultz type like yip situation, but just more like, is he good? Like, every, is everything okay with him? Because as this situation has played out, we've lost track of how long he's really been off the map. I mean, it's basically been almost since he, Zaza slid under him in the 2017 playoffs where we've essentially not really heard very much from Kawhi Leonard. You know, he played during very limited stretches in San Antonio. He never looked right, but he's been completely off the map since, you know, essentially the all-star break. I think he might've done like one interview with the local media down there. No one understands sort of where he's at mentally. He's been way, way off the radar. And I think like you're mentioning, if you're, if you're trying to trade a lot for him, like you don't, you not only want to know that the body's right, but you want to know the, the player, the man is right too. And there could be all sorts of things wrong with him. We just would have no idea of knowing how to do that. And I think that's what you're getting at with the idea of the proof of life concept. But I think he has really dug himself into a corner. This whole strategy of just remaining quiet and off the radar, I think it's doing a lot more harm than he realizes or his people realize. And, you know, to me, he's just gotten bad advice throughout this entire situation. And if he really did want to get traded, he should have been doing everything he possibly could do to inflate his trade value, not deflate it. And to me, the longer it goes, the lower his trade value is because the more concerns people have about everything that's going on around it. And then also, of course, the, the fewer, you know, the fewer games there are potentially until the end of his contract, right? So the longer it goes for him, the less leverage he has, uh, you know, before ultimately becoming an unrestricted free agent. So if he wants to make a move right now, it's absolutely in his best interest to let everybody know he's good in some sort of a public fashion. And for whatever reason, he just seems incapable of doing it. And, you know, to me, that's a red flag. And I agree with you. Like, if I'm Boston, that risk is not worth it. And I think if I'm Philly, that risk is still worth it because I don't think they have quite enough to get over the top this year without him. Uh, you know, that would be the type of team. And maybe even Toronto. I know they've been thrown around in some mix. I could see them talking themselves into this idea of, like, if you can flip him for one of the expensive guards, uh, you already know what the risks are associated with Lowry and DeRozan, especially in the playoffs. So if you can flip one of those guys in a Kawhi deal, just go ahead and try Kawhi's risks, you know, just like a new flavor of risk. But I think for, you know, the true kind of like complete team, like a Boston Celtics, I think there's too much risk there for them to be interested. Plenty more to talk about with Ben Golliver, but I want to take a minute to talk about me undies and underwear. Yeah, underwear. Everybody needs it. New is better than old. They have to be comfortable. So you should definitely check out MeUndies. They stay put, no moving around, convenience of coming right to your door, and just really comfortable underwear. I've been very impressed with it. And one of the things that I love about what they're doing with Real Jam Radio is that it is a no-risk offer. So what you do is you go to meundies.com slash realgm and you can get 15% off your first pair plus free shipping. And if you're not happy, they will refund you the cost and you get to keep them. So it's a really awesome offer. You go to meundies.com slash realgm, you get the discount. It's no risk. And they're doing a really cool second promotion, which I'm I'm enjoying a lot, which is if you order a pair, take a screenshot of your transaction and send it to me, I'll, we'll get you another pair for free. So you get that first pair for 15% off by going to that URL. And then if you send the screenshot, you get a second pair for free. So what you do is you send the proof to gift, G-I-F-T, at podcast1.com, put real GM in the subject line, and 
the first 25 people to send that proof of purchase, screenshot of the purchaser of the receipt, and you'll get another pair for free. So again, MeUndies.com slash RealGM to get the 15% discount on the no-risk offer, and then the first 25 people to send the proof of purchase to gift at podcast1.com, you get another pair for free. It's a pretty awesome deal on amazing underwear. MeUndies. The other reason why I think the rules are different for Philly, and you can make this argument for Boston as well because there are unique circumstances, that my instinct, and again, this is just my instinct. I don't have any insight stuff on this is that I would expect Philly to not be as you know like basically if Kawhi makes it to free agency it seems like the Lakers are heavy favorites and if that is true then you want to trade for a guy ahead of time to change the dynamic and that could be you can offer more years they can offer a fifth year they can offer higher raises and also just that they can experience it in a different way and this is the analog to the Paul George case the Paul George one was a little different because there was zero chance that Oklahoma City could sign him were he had he gone to free agency this summer without being there because they just didn't have cap space but it's the same basic idea basically saying hey we need to convince this guy to to be here and the best way to do that is is to have him on our team and that doesn't always work Dwight Howard is a great example of this the Lakers traded for him a year before they could have done that and it ended up being so bad that he went to the Houston Rockets but Philly is in that interesting spot kind of like Boston where they're so good that they are taking a big risk because theoretically giving up the assets that it would take to acquire Kawhi Leonard and having him either not be right physically or just leave in a year from now and he is not signing an extension with them or anybody other than San Antonio theoretically if they held him around and made the max the the super max offer all that kind of stuff but the Sixers just have to weigh out the, the kind of the cost benefit of this and it's it's interesting that right part of the reason they might not be doing it right now is that they still don't have a general manager I mean I think they've generally done a good job this summer given the constraint of like the best guys aren't coming there you know Paul George LeBron not going there I think they pivoted pretty well I would have preferred especially at his price Ellington to Wilson Chandler but I get a little bit of that so beyond being a, at least partially an ownership decision, I think that's kind of why you have a general manager. Yeah, I mean, clearly this summer went, you know, if you could rewind it four months and tell them how it went, they would have been very, very frustrated with the Brian Colangelo drama, followed by, you know, kind of a cursory meeting with LeBron's representatives, but no real substantive talk, followed by Paul George, you know, really not giving anybody the time of day. I mean, if you go back to the playoffs and right after the playoffs, Brett Brown was very open about Philly's desire to sort of go superstar hunting, right? To, to play in the deep end of the water and didn't do it. I mean, you know, to me, they, they kind of struck out. And I think uh, when I look at their core, the main guys like Joel Embiid's tweets were kind of goofy, you know, trying to take, you know, pot, taking pot shots at LeBron. But I do think there's something to the idea that both of those figures, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, to a certain degree are going to maybe keep other superstars away because, one, Embiid's always going to be the most popular guy on his team, right? So you have to have a superstar who's willing to not be the face of the franchise, right? That can be tricky to find. Second, with Ben Simmons, the ball is going to be in his hands, right? If LeBron went to the Philly, for example, Simmons was going to be the biggest loser. Like, his role was going to change. He was going to turn into one of these cutting guys, you know, a complimentary player, off-ball guy. That was going to be a tough adjustment for him. So when I look at Sixers, the Sixers stars, sure, they might be bummed they didn't get LeBron, but their lives are still really, really good. Like, I don't think that they were, like, you know, wringing their hands and, like, really upset about the fact that they missed out on LeBron. 
sort of life goes on and they get to continue to sort of be the centerpiece guys of that show. I guess my question is, do they have enough right now to really be a contender? And I'm not convinced that they do. And I think that's why the Kawhi fit there is so interesting. And I know you and I talked about Paul George being a really logical fit there too, for some of the same reasons, but I don't think Kawhi needs to be the face of his franchise. And I also think that even though he's very good in isolation and he can give you a lot of efficient scoring, if you do force feed him, he doesn't have to be the complete ball stopper. Like that still allows Simmons to thrive. And so if I'm Philly and I'm kind of looking whether it's this summer or next summer in terms of which of these guys are fits, like the big name guys, kind of hard to see a Durant go there. You know, Kyrie, I really don't see that. Jimmy Butler would be kind of an interesting fit compared to some of these other players. But then you've got some health concerns and age concerns that maybe you don't have with uh, a Kawhi Leonard. I mean, of all the guys who could potentially really vault Philadelphia up the next level, Kawhi seems like the number one guy on that list for me. I, do you agree? I do. And Kawhi, uh, get, uh, like he, he balances it out pretty well. I, I think that offensively, you can have him shoulder as much of the burden as he needs to. And defensively, I mean, makes them an even more formidable team. I would be a little bit concerned about what you would have to give up to get him. I mean, theoretically, they could sign him as a free agent, but, but you get into that range. But like, yeah, think of him, you know, defensively, how important Robert Covington has been for them. I mean, I think Robert Covington's defense is very underrated while his offense is, is def- definitely can infuriate Sixers fans for good reason because he's very confident but inconsistent in terms of success. Kawhi, when healthy, is a significantly better defensive player than Robert Covington. He's, you know, on the short list of the best defensive players in the league. And then offensively, he's just so much more capable. I mean, he can run the, sh- run the show more. He can hit open threes now. His one-on-one creation was way better in 1617 than it had been early in his career and he probably hasn't had a ton of time to work on it but that's a really good piece for a team in the Sixers that their their offense can sometimes get stagnant and so I think yeah he would be a, a really good fit there would be some growing pains there would be some adjustments that all sides would have to make but you put that core together just get some shooting around them and ideally some guys that can be versatile defensively that can switch and that could be you know it depends there will always be great teams out there but I think they're in the championship mix yeah and when I'm let's say I was in Kawhi's camp if I was ranking his destinations right now and let's just assume Boston's off the table because they're just so loaded at those positions I mean to me number one is Philly and I think if I'm trying to decide between like Philly versus say the Lakers like the level of scrutiny and attention that's going to be around the Lakers being a part of LeBron James's cast. I and mean, we've seen over these last couple of years, other superstars reject that equation, right? Obviously Kyrie did by forcing the trade. Obviously Paul George did by deciding to resign with Oklahoma city and not even giving the Lakers a meeting. I think that those situations should almost be like canaries in the cold mine. If you're Kawhi's camp. I mean, you're looking at that and thinking, okay, well, what if he does go there? Does he wind up getting the blame if the team falls short because they traded some young pieces to get him? If there's depth issues or health issues, you know, is Kawhi going to be the scapegoat? Uh, is he really going to be able to sort of blossom as you know the, the big time star, the guy with the big sneaker deals? Uh, if he's sort of in LeBron's shadow, or is he always going to be sort of in that kid brother role like Kyrie was sort of cast? In Cleveland, those would be questions that I would have in L.A. And when you're looking at some of these other situations that have popped up, you know, Toronto or the Clippers, to me, the the fit isn't as clean. And the ramp up to really being a, a true contender is just longer. And I think if you're 
in Kawhi's camp, you want him to be competing for titles every year. I mean, that's where they were a couple of years ago. That's why they made a lot of the moves they did, whether it was LaMarcus and, and Pau Gasol and all these other moves to sort of build a team that can really win around Kawhi in the short term. And I think Philadelphia offers a lot to Kawhi. And like I mentioned, the field with the other two superstars there is good. But then also, they would be ready to go out of the gate next season, you know, after, like you're saying, the ramp-up period where they get, kind of build their chemistry to start competing for titles immediately. And then throughout the course of that deal, if Kawhi does sign the, you know, the contract to re-sign with them, say, next summer, he should be competing for a title every single year because that's going to be when Embiid and Simmons are going through, uh, you know, their, their prime years. So that one stands out above all the other fits for me. And I just wonder if it doesn't happen to me, we have to hold his people accountable, whoever is steering him or, or kind of, uh, you know, influencing his future. Uh, I would like to think that they are able to see the same benefits that that situation offers compared to some of these other ones that are on the table. I agree with a lot of that. And something I thought of when you were going through it is the danger for the Clippers of giving up too much, because what's different about a lot of these other circumstances is that they are distinct. Like the Sixers, you could say, hey, look, look at look the guy, the young guys we have around it. And what's hard with the Clippers is that not only are they kind of a mystery box, I mean, with Tobias Harris and a lot of their other good players, almost everybody on their team being free agents next summer, and the only guy being a holdover is Gallinari, who is not exactly the hu- a huge sales point for Kawhi Leonard of like, hey, you get to play with Gallinari. So then you have that, oh, like all the lifestyle stuff if you get to live in LA and all that. Yeah, certainly that has appeal to Kawhi Leonard. But the Lakers have all of that in LeBron James. So I think that the Clippers are in a very good place for next summer. I'm happy with the way that they approached all of this. I think it worked out reasonably well for them. Getting Avery Bradley on a team-friendly contract for the second year, I think that like that kind of helps. Letting DeAndre go functionally, I think that worked out well too. But the concern that I have for them is I think that they they might be too focused on like one guy, but they can be in the mix for everyone else. You know, like even maybe, and maybe they do get Kawhi, but I don't think they do. But Jimmy Butler could be interested. Maybe Kyrie. I don't know what Kyrie wants. Like, oh, there are a lot of, a lot of players who are going to be intriguing for them and being the other option. That was actually something I was deeply critical of with the Clippers the last couple of years was the idea that they didn't give themselves the, fu- the flexibility to be the other team when the NBA teams that can be that actually do really well. It's the same criticism I've had of the Knicks and the Nets in recent years. Yeah, I mean, I think that they have a really interesting team uh, on paper. I think, obviously, there's a bunch of asterisks with their main guys, like, can you stay healthy? And, you know, even if we just assume that, you know, some of the guys, especially like Gallinari and, and maybe Beverly, like, just assume that they're not going to be healthy, they still have a pretty interesting team. They should be very competitive. I don't see them falling out of the playoff race until later in the season. And I think when you're looking at losing Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, and Blake Griffin all within basically a 12-month time period, that would have been shocking. Like, if we had gone back 12 months and I told you they were going to lose all three of those guys, and, you know, basically how well would they reload, I I would doubt that you and I would have put them in position to still be, you know, a playoff team. And also, the guy, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, you know, their first-round pick has looked really, really good in Vegas. So I think they've not only got a steady cast of veterans, but also some level of hope kind of going forward in terms of, uh, you know, reloading their talent. Uh, but I'm actually wanting to talk to you about the Knicks that you mentioned because they've gotten a lot of talk here in Vegas, buzz-wise, in terms of being a destination next summer. And usually it's kind of like sarcastic or almost ironic, like, ha-ha, who do you think the, uh, the Knicks are going to get? I mean, that's how it's been in, in past years. But it seems like 
you know, the combination of Porzingis plus Knox playing very well, plus this idea that, you know, some, there's been rumors, oh, Jimmy Butler might want to team up with Kyrie and, you know, Kyrie and Kevin Durant are all constantly like giving each other like compliments, you know, in various interviews and talking about how much they respect each other's games. Like some of those dream scenarios, the team up scenarios with the Knicks as the destination have really gained a lot of traction here in Vegas in terms of, you know, just what people are spitballing about. And I think it's been natural like the last five years to just sort of write them out of the major conversations like, okay, maybe they can, you know, trade for Melo years ago, or maybe they can get an Amari Stoudemire because uh, there was so many concerns about his health, but they're not really competing for like the big time, you know, like the A-list guys. And I think that that could really shift next summer. I think the Knicks could wind up finding themselves in the mix for those guys even if this season is pretty ugly on the court, right? And even if it's sort of a retooling year with a new coach and you're, you're bringing Porzingis back slowly and you're letting Knox learn on the job and everything else, I think there's a level of respect for what the front office has been doing there, uh, you know, not making these big, bold mistakes like some of the previous administrations and just taking things deliberately, you know, making a nice draft pick with the Knox and bringing in a, a well-respected coach in, in David Fisdale. I mean, I think that what they've done here, say, over the last 12 months, is starting to lay a little bit of the groundwork. It, it's almost kind of like in, in Lakers-like fashion from a couple of years ago when Rob and, and Magic first took over and started deconstructing the mess that was left them. And I think we're going to reach peak Nick rumors talk here, you know, within the next 12 months, I expect them to be right in the middle of an awful lot of scenarios that are going to get people excited. I find the Knicks fascinating as well. And to lay the groundwork a little bit for people on where this is right now. So there's a lot that's uncertain, but if we, I I would pencil in the Knicks right now at about 25 million in space, easy, automatic for them next summer. And 25 isn't enough to do, to do a ton. And that includes Porzingis' capital. But the big thing that includes is the trio of Noah, Hardaway, and Courtney Lee. And so I haven't done the full math on this. This will eventually be a piece for The Athletic New York, I assume. But the way that I think about it off the kind of with a little bit of preliminary work is that they would need to offload entirely two of those three, Noah, Hardaway, and Lee. And then they would need to, they could stretch the third. And so the logical path, the first part of that is probably trading Courtney Lee because Courtney Lee, I I think he's a little bit of a negative value at 12 million, but not too bad. And there are teams that are interested in capable players. So that's not as big of a deal. And then with Noah and Hardaway, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are assuming, oh, trade Hardaway, stretch Noah. It might actually end up being the other way just because Noah only will have one year left on his contract at this point. And this is also why the Knicks should not stretch Noah in like in like September unless they've already figured this stuff out. And could that happen? Yes, absolutely. Like basically the way that they could clear all that space is if they have a need to. They could get to one one max spot n- easy. No no real questions asked. And the second one it's more in the line like when the Warriors got Iguodala, when a few other ones, I mean I th- I, th- I was remembering I think like Orlando kind of had the ducks in a row for this with Tim Duncan, but maybe they just had the space where if you have to do it you absolutely can. And I, I think that's really they'll have to give up some first round picks and all that kind of stuff, but it certainly would be possible. So yeah, the Knicks are in there. And as I said, the, the guys who are going to be free agents for the first time, we'll have to see what they actually want. And like maybe, you know, if, if they can convince themselves that two really high-end players, plus Porzingis, plus Knox and Frank Nokina and whoever else, that that can be a really good team, especially in the East. You don't have to deal with everybody in the West. 
I could see one or two of the, I could see two of those guys being very interested in that, especially if they have connections to the East Coast. Yeah, I think the the Durant part of it, you know, there's the relationship between, you know, Rich Kleiman and the Knicks franchise and just like, you know, his lifelong love. I think people are kind of connecting those dots. But there would also be the ability to sort of go back to being cast as the hero, right? Like if you're KD and you leave Golden State where you've won a ton and sort of validated your legacy, but you go to New York and you start to try to save that franchise, it's kind of similar to what LeBron did in terms of going back to Cleveland or even joining the Lakers who had been, you know, going through such a tough five-year period before he got there where you automatically, you know, get some goodwill back for taking on that challenge. Uh, that could be a way to kind of shift the debate around Kevin Durant from, oh, he's just a goofball who's always arguing with teenagers on social media. And, you know, this is just the, uh, you know, the snake who kind of backstabbed Oklahoma City. I mean, that would really open up a new chapter from a narrative standpoint for him. And you can see why that might hold some appeal to people who are working and, and trying to maximize, say, his business interests or his popularity, you know, during his prime. You know, just something for people to chew on. I have a question for you, though, because you're mentioning uh, Noah's contract and everything else. And, you know, this week in Las Vegas, Adam Silver was essentially saying that he didn't believe the NBA had a problem. Like he thought the league was in a good place and Golden State was playing by the rules. And he wanted them to try to increase their dominance as much as possible because he thought it was good for competition. And, you know, essentially, you know, poo-pooing all the people who say that the NBA is ruined. I'm wondering, do you think the, the league screwed up not just by not managing the cap smoothing part of uh, the equation, you know, during 2016, but also by not giving these teams an amnesty clause when they did come up with a new collective bargaining agreement, because I feel like a team like Houston this year, they could have used it on Ryan Anderson and maybe been in a better position to either keep their team together or, you know, keep up in that arms race with Golden State. Uh, Obviously New York, like if they could just amnesty Noah, their ability to turn, themselves into sort of a premier free agency destination would be a lot more interesting. You can kind of go down to the list on some of these other teams, how much an amnesty clause would have uh, you know, helped their positioning. Like, do you think that there would be less cries of unfairness if they had just thrown one of those in during the last collective bargaining agreement? I'm a supporter of the amnesty clause broadly, but I'm a supporter of it in a more flexible mechanism than it existed. So they they put in all this stuff on the prior one, and I understand an element of it because they – so it was contracts that had to have been signed before that collective bargaining agreement was in place, had to be a guy that was on your team, all that kind of stuff. And part of the reason for that is that they didn't want it to be like a a more powerful tool just because certain teams would be able to abuse it then. And – I think even that amnesty, it would have helped in certain circumstances. I think the biggest, the reason I think, so players are always supportive of the amnesty clause because it just allows more players to get paid. Like that basically, it has no downside for the players and it has, and then for owners, why they wouldn't want it in certain circumstances is because it's more of a reward for the rich owners than the poor owners to an extent. Like you talked about the Knicks, like, yeah, James Dolan, no problem. You know, it gives them more flexibility. They're going to go in that room, though some of those rich teams have actually used it poorly because they're so kind of flexible, uh, like they, they could just kind of burn money. But what I would do is actually have a more flexible amnesty provision. And what I mean by that, the biggest one is that I would allow it to be used for players that did not start that CBA on that team. So theoretically, if there was a team that was well managed, 
and didn't have any bad contracts on their books, a team that has bad contracts could trade them uh, for a ton of assets, like a couple first round picks or whatever, could trade them an awful contract, and then they could use the amnesty on it. Because what that does is it creates an incentive for these well-run teams. And so if the Knicks want to get off of Noah and somebody else, then if they want to give up the assets, they can make that happen. I think that's fair. The well-run teams are not necessarily the rich teams. Those are often very, very different. You get into those circumstances. It would probably lead to the rich getting richer, but at least some other teams would get assets along the way. And then the other thing that I would consider, and I understand why this is a Pandora's box, it's a pretty obvious one, of allowing for players that sign after that CBA to get amnestied. Because basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it a different kind of get out of jail free card. But as long as it's done within the time frame that, that works for it, I would be totally fine with adding that flexibility just because it allows more teams to benefit from it. And yeah, there's this weird idea of, oh, you could side somebody and know that you could amnesty them two years later or something like that. But teams did that in various other CBAs with the knowledge that an, am- that, that an amnesty might be coming. Like, I remember that, it was, I mean, that was a big problem with the Baron Davis trade years ago when the when the Clippers basically gave up Kyrie Irving in an, on a forgotten, horrible trade. You know, teams knew the amnesty was coming the summer before that, and some of them signed contracts probably thinking they could get out of it. Yeah, and I just feel like teams handed out so much money in 2016 that it, it did kind of seem like they were almost acting like they were going to get one, and then they just didn't have one. And That might really have been part of the reason why it didn't happen. It might have been that certain teams were so outraged that everybody else spent so recklessly that they didn't want to give them a bailout. That might have been impossible. It'd be great to get. It'd be great to get some truth serum to some of these owners and figure out how that happened. No, that's a, that's a great point. I hadn't considered that angle, but it, it did seem like a lot of people were spending money that summer, like maybe expecting one. And now there's just so many dead contracts around the league where if you could just wipe it out, you know, these teams like. Portland is another great example where they would just be in a much better position to build if they didn't have like Evan Turner's contract or, you know, some of these deals we've seen traded multiple times, the Moscow deal or, you know, Biombo or Mahimi for Washington, like all those teams would be in a significantly better position to compete now if they had it. And the narratives around all those teams are kind of just being stuck, right? Like we, we have nowhere to go. We're, like there's not really any way for them to improve. They can't really compete for, free agents they don't have the trade assets would look a lot different if they had it and you know that's one situation when like the owners are you know complaining about golden state where i really am kind of unforgiving you know like you you could have pushed for the amnesty clause you could have been willing to pay out that extra salary to get rid of it so you could bring in new players and and you didn't and that that's why it's so tough though because golden state i mean you look at their roster moves they haven't made a big mistake at all in the last four or five years the guys who they've paid big contracts to have deserved it and they've negotiated a lot of sweetheart deals on the supporting cast guys. And so, you know, unless you're batting a thousand like Golden State is, it's very difficult to keep up with them. It just takes one mistake, you know, a Ryan Anderson proving not to be able to stay on the court against Golden State in the playoffs to sort of tank uh, Houston's ability to really reach its ceiling over the course of multiple seasons. It just takes that one mistake. And if you don't have the undo button with the amnesty clause, you're basically backed into a corner. Uh, I was actually, you know, just wishing that Adam Silver would try to generate some momentum for that, because I think that would be one way to just give like a jolt of competitive balance, you know, in this era of Golden State dominance, if he could just kind of somehow slip that in. But he has no real interest, it sounds like, in, in making any sort of radical alterations to that agreement that they signed. And, you know, unfortunately... Uh, I think that leaves us in a situation with a a league that's really top-heavy. Plenty more to talk about with Ben Golliver, including 
our live reactions to the Jabari Parker news, but I want to take a moment to tell you about Quip, a product that I use all the time and really enjoy. And the truth is that most of us are brushing our teeth wrong, whether that's not for long enough, forgetting to change the toothbrush on time. And a lot of that is because brands, most brands, focus on flashy gimmicks rather than better brushing, not Quip. What makes Quip so different? And It's an electric toothbrush, which I love, that is a fraction of the cost of the bulkier brushes while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to help you clean your teeth. Their built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist-recommended two minutes, and then they give you these pulses to let you know when to switch parts of your mouth, and it's really useful. While I use my Quip all the time, it was a great reminder when I was in Vegas for Summer League because it's really small, it's compact. And it's so, and it basically makes it so easy for you to to do the right things. And that also ties in with the subscription plans they have. So you get new brush heads on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just five dollars. That includes free shipping worldwide. Comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks if you want to use it as a cover for travel. It's great if for those who have limited space. And they've been honored justifiably in a lot of great places. Oprah's O-List, one of Time's Best Inventions, and it's the first electric toothbrush subscription accepted by the American Dental Association, backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists, hygienists, and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers use Quip every day. That includes me. So Quip, the price point is, is a huge part of it. I mean, it's a great brush, but the pr- they start at $25. You can go to getquip.com slash realgm. You get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electronic toothbrush. Again, that's getquip.com slash realgm. You get your first refill pack free. They start at just 25 bucks. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash realgm. I also want to tell you about our friends at TrueCar. These days, news travels lightning fast. That's great if you're a sports fan. Between status updates, breaking news notifications, and Twitter feeds, you can always be up to the minute on every team and every game. It is great for sports. It can be the opposite for buying a car. You go online and you are bombarded with numbers, invoice, list price, dealer price. It's hard to know how to recognize a good price. Not anymore. Introducing True Price from True Car. It is the only price you need to know because it is exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories. How do you know if your True Price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want, so you know how to recognize a good price. Your certified dealers know this, so they set their True Price competitively so they can win your business. So, when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. I don't usually get the opportunity to do this on Real Jam Radio just because of how it's done, but we do kind of have an opportunity for a live reaction because while we've been recording, and I don't know if you've seen this, I've seen it because I look at multiple screens all the time, but uh, not only did the Bucks mutually rescind the qualifying offer on Jabari Parker, but Jabari Parker signed a two-year, $40 million deal with the Bulls that has a team option for the second year. Yeah, so first of all, I don't love Jabari Parker as a player. I think his red flags are very obvious. I mean, of course, the injury issues, of course, the defense, of course, the need to kind of dominate the ball without really lifting his team's offensive efficiency that high. But I think if you're Chicago, the team option part of it makes this a deal worth doing. You know, I think for them, I worry a little bit that they're not patient enough to really allow this rebuilding process to play out like it should. You know, when I look at like the Zach contract that they were you know, willing to match pretty quickly. And now this Jabari move, it does seem like they kind of want a shortcut a little bit. Like maybe they don't have the stomach for being truly awful. And, and that might be what's in their best interest is just, just, you know, be bad for another year or two and, and really collect some top end talent. But I can understand why they would do this given, 
the amount of cap space that they had, given their inability to really compete for the veteran guys, given how young their roster is, you know, to me, it's too much money for them. But I think Chicago is kind of uniquely positioned to, to hand that money. And they're also uniquely positioned, I think, to capitalize on his best case scenario because he's very popular there locally. He's got the high school roots in that area. And if he is able to start getting closer to what people viewed as his potential, I think he would be a massive star and a real face of the franchise that they've been looking for, you know, basically since, you know, Derrick Rose started to decline, right? So I think they have more motivation uh, than most teams in that scenario to sort of pay that contract. I guess I would put it this way. I don't see another team in the league being willing to pay Jabari Parker that much money next season. And I'm not really that surprised that Milwaukee decided that was sort of too rich for their blood. I just don't think he's worth that number to the Bucks, given how they're constructed. I know a lot of people are going to point at, you know, some of the overpays that Milwaukee's made in recent years for role players that have really kind of backfired and, and clogged their books a little bit. But when you look at that partnership with him and Giannis, I just don't think there's much room for Parker to be really who he is as a player and to really be able to live up to that number. And I think for that reason, you can kind of hammer Milwaukee for their asset management. I mean, you never want to see, a, you know, a number two pick you know, walk out the door for nothing four years later. But to me, I don't think it's going to be a, a crippling uh, turn of events for them. I mean, they were just struggling even to find him time in the playoffs in certain situations. And I didn't see that problem resolving just by like a return to health. Like, I just think there were some pretty clear fit issues there between him and Giannis. Yeah, I saw those as well. And so I'm, I'm conflicted on this a little bit for the Bulls, because if it was the originally kind of expected two for 40, I would have really dislike this for Chicago because the fit issues, I think Jabari is up. I mean, he's not really good at defending either forward position or in the team concept, but he's more of a power forward than a small forward. And he, he, I think he overlaps a lot with, with Lowry Markkinen just in terms of, you know, like that kind of defensive role and everything like that. I don't think either of those guys is great at switching, you know, like, and, and of course with Zach Levine already there and the, and going in through all that, and there is also the opportunity cost because, you know, this was $20 million in cap space that we just saw the Nets somehow create $20 million in cap space and then use that to get a first-round pick, which will probably be, you know, in the teens from, from Denver whenever it conveys. That might be this year, might be later. And that's a valuable thing. And Chicago, you know, they could have done something like that. So that's the basis. I would have I would have hated this deal for them. The team option makes it a lot better. I still don't love it, but I hate it a lot less because now they have the ability to get out of it. Now it's basically like they they took a different kind of risk. So instead of getting a first round pick with this space, they got a guy who was a first round pick four years ago, is incredibly talented offensively. And it might not work out, but they can get out of it pretty quickly. And so I don't love it, but I certainly hate it a lot less. So I guess that's better. It is better. Yeah, I, I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head there. Like, okay, so what's the average first round pick going to get you versus the, the shot you're taking at, you know, Parker being able to sort of get comfortable, get right, and really being a player. I, th- I could easily see why Chicago, like I mentioned, with the, the hometown stuff, thinking like, Look, this is better than just a random first round pick, you know, wherever it might land. Like this, this has the potential to sell a lot of tickets. It has the potential to, you know, recast him as sort of like the face of a, a team that's trying to be better than it was uh, two years ago uh, and last year. And I think 
Yeah, I think it's a worthwhile risk, especially because you didn't have to commit to that second season. You know, it's kind of funny, though, with the positional stuff. Like, everybody wants these interchangeable lineups, but we think of them as, like, you want small forwards who are interchangeable, right? Like, guys who can play, uh, you know, they defend, like, one through four, and they can handle the ball, and they can run the offense, and they can all shoot. And, like, Chicago is <laughs> like accumulating these power forwards where they're going to have to play, like, three power forwards on the court simultaneously if they want to keep their best guys on the court. And none of them are really ball handlers. I mean, you can kind of say Jabari is, but I, I don't really see that from him. I mean, not, it's really not in the point where you want him to really, like, run an offense. And I think they're going to you – know, like, Fred's going to have his hands filled. Like, how do you even construct lineups and, and keep everybody happy – given the log jams that their their lineups are have created and you can try to play Jabari at the three. You know, I don't think that's going to go very well. And I don't think you can play him with Levine for long stretches and expect to have any level of team success just given where they're they're at defensively and given how easy both of those guys are to pick on. And you know, plus when you throw in you know the idea that you're gonna have to play like Wendell Carter, who I think has been one of my favorite players at Summer League, but still He's a rookie big who's going to have a learning curve, uh, even defensively, where he's been really strong on the Vegas level. I think that's going to be, you know, asking a lot of him to, you know, defend whether it's the five uh, or the four, you know, just like right off the bat. I mean, there's going to be some, you know, some hiccups there. They've just got an awful lot of minus defenders they're going to be trying to throw out there together next season. And I guess if you're viewing next year as the prove it year, the question becomes how good does your team have to be and, and how well does Parker have to play? for you to either kind of pick up that option or decide to kind of commit to him longer term. And I guess, you know, that's sort of the downside of this deal is like, yes, they can kind of get to know each other over the course of the year. But I think there's so many obvious fit questions that it's, it's difficult to sort of lay out the blueprint for like, here's what we need to say to see next year to really call it a success. Does that make sense? It does. It also, I mean, so Chicago would still theoretically have close to max space. We don't know how good their draft pick is going to be. That can knock them out. Like, so I have it, the tentative math on it with Jabari Parker's option at about 33 million. So they could get to, but the number was about 50 after the Levine, the Levine thing. But the other part that I'm thinking about, and, and this isn't all like max or nothing type of type of circumstances with players, but I wonder how this year is going to make players who are free agents at, at any level think like think about joining the Bulls because you're probably going to have this shaky, if not worse, defensive team. A lot of guys who like the ball in their hands, Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, Jabari Parker. And so if you're you're trying to kind of push up a little bit, so they're probably not, I mean, maybe with a lot of reform, they'll end up with a good pick, but you're kind of trying to be in that range. And I don't think you're enticing these other players like, oh, look, this is going to be so much fun to play with them unless Hoiberg can absolutely like brainwash all these guys into playing a more enjoyable form of basketball. And that seems unlikely. Yeah, there's just a lot of competing interests on this roster, right? Like, can't, I, I can already picture the finger pointing going on, you know, like when Zach you know, puts his head down and shoots the the sixth three of the game without really running the offense. Or, you know, Parker decides to go one-on-one into traffic or, uh, you know, Lowry standing around waiting for passes that are just never coming. I mean, I just think there's an awful lot of pressure, not only on Hoiberg, but also on Chris Dunn. And like, I'm not sure he's up to this task, right? Like, don't you need someone who's just like innately skilled at keeping everybody happy at like, you know, divvying up the dinner to make sure everybody gets fed. And I don't really view that as, 
you know, his game necessarily. And there's so many people who are going to be trying to eat offensively that it, it really is going to fall on the point guard and the coach to like have that system where, you know, everybody can kind of feel uh, engaged and, and feel part of it. And we know that was an issue for Jabari in Milwaukee, you know, like I, I think he's really made no secret of wanting more minutes, more touches, uh, more opportunities uh, with the Bucks. And while I think, you know, he's going to be higher up on the pecking order in Chicago, just because there's not a player like Giannis to sort of get all the adulation and, and, you know, have the ball in his hands all the time. I still think there's going to be tensions, you know, within this roster in terms of like, there's only one ball and there's, you know, like there's a lot of guys who want to shoot it. And I, I think once you have so many players who are sort of one-way guys accumulated together, it's kind of a, a toxic combination on both ends, right? Because you're going to be frustrated and upset after the defense breaks down and, you know, potentially you come back down the, the court the other direction and now you're kind of playing tug of war over, you know, who gets to use that possession. So, you know, we've seen Chicago's front office throw an awful lot of interesting challenges at Hoiberg. And I guess this is just like the latest flavor, right? Like here, try to pick up the pieces after Jimmy here, try to make Jimmy and, and Rajon Rondo and Dwayne Wade work. I mean, he's really been through the gauntlet, you know, during his time in Chicago. And now he's got this young roster that's like very redundant in certain ways and then very lacking in other ways. And now it's like, here you go again. Like, good luck. Try to make it work. I don't envy Fred Hoiberg. I don't either. And along those lines, something that I'm fascinated with, assuming they start, it sounds like they're going to start Levine, Jabari, and Markkinen at the 2-3-4 is that's a lot of offensive talent on this Chicago team without a real primary ball handler. And so you can talk about, oh, you know, those some of those Bucks teams with Giannis didn't really have point guard. Well, they let him run the ball, run the offense a lot. And I just have no idea how this offense is going to work. Like they have a lot of guys that I think are capable, intriguing offensive players. I wrote a piece for the Athletic Chicago about Zach Levine, like his value as a catch and shoot guy, like as a secondary or tertiary option. He actually has been a pretty effective player. It's just that he hasn't really been super comfortable with that a lot of the time. And you know, Jabari is is a complicated. He's so good with the ball in his hands, and Markkinen is a support player, and so. I wonder how this is going to work because we've seen a lot of teams kind of fail without that point guardy guy like Orlando last year. I think that's a big reason why their offense fell off a cliff. The Chicago team has a lot more talent. And I think they could have a better system offensively, but I'm absolutely fascinated to see how this works out. Yeah, me too. And I think like one of my biggest takeaways from uh, the Vegas experience has been some of the most hopeless teams in the NBA last year, New York, Memphis, and Chicago have all really increased their watchability or their entertainment value for next season. Like Knox is absolutely a reason to watch the Knicks like that. If that works and, and Porzingis comes back and they're interesting together, they're a free agent destination. Like we were talking about Memphis with Aaron Jackson jr. That was like the number one to kind of second guess move given like, you know, there's Trey and there's Doncic and there's all these other guys you could have potentially taken. He winds up looking pretty good. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like this team that was aging and kind of going nowhere they maybe do have a next round of the life cycle, you know, a, a type of guy you could build around, you know, going forward, a really tantalizing young big man. And then with Chicago, I think not only do you have, you know, Wendell Carter Jr.'s sort of success right out of the gate, sort of, you know, blowing people away and, and kind of generating discussions about, hey, is he the best big in the draft like right now in terms of you know, his polish and his two-way game? But then you also have these sort of like you know, high wattage moves with Zach Levine and, and Jabari Parker kind of happening this summer where b the Bulls will be relevant next year. They're going to be a lot more relevant and, and entertaining to watch, you know, for good or for bad. 
than they were last year where, you know, you could basically, you know, skip most of their season because they just didn't have enough, you know, intriguing players on hand to, to really make it worthwhile. So, you know, to me, that's kind of been the takeaway from the last uh, 10 days is, you know, some of these like kind of sad sack organizations or, you know, just the, the teams that you really have to kind of grit your team to uh, grit, grit your teeth to watch have, you know, changed that storyline a little bit with some of their moves and, and with their recent draft picks. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, even team like the Hawks, the Hawks aren't going to be great this year, but they'll be more interesting to watch. And so I am excited for that. And unless you have anything big that you want to make sure to get out to the listeners, I will thank you for your time and always appreciate you coming on. Well, my pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. And yeah, if people could just check out SI.com slash NBA. We're doing, you know, lots of summer league analysis and we'll have all the, you know, the deals and trades are being great sort of in real time as well. So I'd say si.com slash NBA and otherwise uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks again to Ben for taking the time to come on. As he said, you can read his work and numerous other excellent people at Sports Illustrated, si.com slash NBA. They have so many talented people. I'm so happy for them. And you can also follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Golliver, B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. It looks at the moment like the upcoming week of Real Jam Radio will be focused on Summer League. I am back and I'm working on talking to somebody about that. And then after that point, we'll probably start getting into the what I call the capsules. And so what that is, is it's a podcast with two people. So it's a three-person show on each division specifically, what we saw in the offseason, what we're looking forward to next year, and everything in between. And I don't know the order yet. I'm in the process of starting to reach out to those people, but people do really like it. That's why I keep bringing them back is because I I generally ask for feedback during the playoffs or something and people say, I like those podcasts, bring them back. So we'll be going into that. No order yet. I I will probably be a little bit later on the divisions that still have more to be resolved. For example, everything related to Kawhi, probably push back a little bit on that, but we'll see who's available when. And as always, if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the best way to do it because if there I can read it on my own time. It doesn't get lost in the morass of everything else. And if you take the time to write it, I promise I will take the time to read it. I respond when I can. If you want to support the show, and I really hope that you do, there are a lot of different ways that you can do so. So you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast wherever you're choosing. It is great if it's Apple Podcasts. They're still absolutely massive in, in this business. But you can also subscribe, download every episode that's particularly good with Real Jam Radio because it comes out at random times. And you can also spread the word however you see fit. That could be social media, could be telling a friend, whether it's a specific episode or just think you'd like the show. Anything like that is very valuable. And of course, checking out our sponsors, MeUndies.com slash RealGM. That gets you 15% off that risk for trial. And then you also, of course, have the screenshot option that's still available. Gift at podcast1.com is the way to do that. Quip toothbrushes, awesome. Use it all the time. Getquip.com slash RealGM. They start at a cheap price. You get your first refill pack for free. It's fantastic. I'm so happy that I have it. And our friends at TrueCar, just a great place to buy a new or a used car. So that is enough for now. You, If you want to get more of the day-by-day stuff, Dunked On is now down to two days a week, but we still go more transaction by transaction. And you can also, of course, read my work at Real GM at The Athletic, and wherever else it gets published, follow me on Twitter at Daniel Rue for anything more in that realm. And yeah, I'll have a lot coming out now. I'm finally getting settled after Vegas. So that for me, when I get settled, that means I end up writing a lot because I love writing and I have lots to think about and talk about with all this kind of stuff. So you can expect that to come in various capacities and I have some big picture ideas. I'm probably going to start working on my 2019 cap space estimates over the next week. And so that should be in there. I'm going to do some pictures 
pick protection, a lot of fun stuff. So you can check for all that. For those of you who are familiar with this show, the off season is a very big time for us. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. lifestyle depends on quality sleep and sleep number is here to help you sleep more efficiently sleep efficiency is the amount of restful sleep you have at night and is a key part of your overall health here are some tips to help you get the most efficient sleep possible reduce caffeine consumption before noon and limit late night alcohol get regular exercise during the day which helps you feel tired in the evening and keep track of your sleep health with data from your sleep number 360 smart bed sleepers who routinely use their sleep number 360 smart bed features get almost a hundred hours more proven quality sleep per year with that much extra energy, you could get more quality family time, volunteer at a meaningful charity, or exercise, meditate, and reconnect with nature. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep, which starts with Sleep Number adjustability. It's time for Sleep Number's ultimate sleep number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed, plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com slash podcast one for details.